Welcome to the Platform to Perform podcast, the podcast for athletes, coaches, and anyone looking to perform at their highest level. If performance is your goal, we aim to provide you with the platform to perform. I'm your host as always, Todd Davidson, and on episode 39, I'm delighted to be joined by England's strongest man, Paul Smith. Paul Smith was a World's Strongest Man competitor in 2018, won the under-23 World's Strongest Man in the same year, and on today's episode, we discuss the unique adaptations to be gained from strongman exercises and why textbook prescriptions of adaptations to training are sometimes uh, limited, the psychological demands and unpredictability of competing in strongman events, and how this psychological preparation can be applied to other sports. And finally, why trying to recreate the competition environment can sometimes be a poison chalice. I'm really looking forward to this episode, and I know you will be too. How are you doing today, Paul? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, mate. I'm very well indeed. I'm going to kick things off with the uh, same question that I kick things off to uh, everyone, and that is, uh, why do you do what you do? And how has that led you to what you're doing now? So why do I do what I do? So basically I got into my sport through um, a love of lifting weights and a love of progression. Um, I got into strongman because I just absolutely loved finding new challenges and being able to track it. I love doing a sport where I can see the numbers go up and I can see what's going down and see what needs to be work on. Um, I'm a bit of a nerd in that respect, so I like having something finite and measurable. Um, and then after uh, many, many years of doing that, I've got to a point where I guess it's kind of my profession now and uh, all I do is based around competing and coaching. Awesome. And yeah, I'm uh, very much the same when it comes to something measurable and uh, having something finite and knowing that what you're doing is working rather than uh, just flailing around, and not really knowing what you're doing or why. Um so when it comes to uh, Strongman, then, if I uh, hijack the conversation ever so slightly. So I came across, I first came across you, ironically, in uh, an argument on Facebook of all places. Um, so the argument was based around uh, somebody asking for help in terms of how to better understand a sport or, uh, that they've never worked in before. So you just want to give a little bit of uh, the listeners an idea of, what answer somehow got you into trouble um unbeknownst to me and uh we'll go from there yes so basically there's a poll on and it was um talking about how to find information for, for a new sport i'm not sure what the sport was i think it might have been a general question but there was like talking with the team coach talking with snc coaches talking with the players talking with past players um reading in the literature and then there was might have been another online resource and there were people who voted, and my answer was do the sport. I thought that was pretty non-controversial, and someone just replied wrong. Um, Mo doing a five k isn't going to know how isn't going to make me know how Mo Farah feels. Uh, and I just got a big paragraph about why doing the sport was um, not a good uh, use of time. And from basically, there's a lot of waffle about why doing the sport would not give you a good insight into doing the sport which I thought sums up some problems with uh, S&C, at least in this country, but that I could, I could go on for a while with that. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's ironic really, because again, we'll, we'll, we won't harbour the point too much, but yeah, of course, if uh, me talking to Cristiano Ronaldo about how I played Sunday league football when I was seven years old, 
may not garner his respect the way that I think it might. But equally, if you've played a sport, you'll know the culture a little bit better. You probably know the physiological demands a little bit better. Yes, they might not be exactly the same, but yeah, I, <laughs> the joy of the internet. I have no idea why you got shot down for that answer, but uh, that thought that made me think, right, I want to have a conversation with this guy and uh, he's got a strong man background. So let's do it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, you don't have to compete at a high level to do anything, but if I'm telling a boxer what to do and I've never been in a ring or never been punched in the face or never been hurt or never had to work hard whilst being in like a really stressful environment and I'm telling someone what they need to do, it just doesn't feel like I, I've got, you need to be able to relate a little bit, I think, even if it's only at a low level. Yeah. And like you said, it may, maybe it doesn't have to be in that exact sporting environment, but as you said, if you've never been involved in a competitive situation in your life and you're now talk, trying to imagine or trying to say to an athlete, look, this is how these exercises relate to these competitive scenarios, then you probably will get laughed out of the room to a certain extent. Yeah, people have got to buy in as well, haven't they? Even without all the knowledge, they've got to, they've got to trust you. Absolutely. So when it comes to uh, strongman as a sport, then uh, for the listeners who've maybe, I don't know, seen it once every Christmas, um, do you want to give us a little bit of background into the sport and how you would break down training for the sport? So strongman basically starts, well, originally strongman was kind of a, a circus sideshow going back into like the 19th century and people would go around doing these feats of strength, often they were a little bit rigged or a little bit cheated and they'd go around challenging people in different areas and travel with the circus. Then once that kind of fell out of favour, there wasn't really a, a strongman kind of uh, performer as such for quite a while. But then in the 70s, they decided to have a World Strongest Man competition. And what they did, they got people from different backgrounds Grounds. You've got Olympic weightlifters, they got powerlifters, there's some NFL players, wrestlers. They had just guys that were just strong guys and they put them in an event and they gave them some feats of strength to uh, test themselves on and they had a winner. And then that was 1977, they had it every year. And basically after a few years, people started training specifically for that. And over the decades, it's just got more and more specialised. So now you have people that are strong men and that's a job and that's everything that they do but it took probably 10 years before that was a thing and then probably another 10 years before people really started figuring out how to train and even now it's still developing a lot as we go on and uh so you had the uh pleasure of coaching a mutual friend of ours uh jordan webster who's on uh episode 23 if i remember rightly how would you describe your philosophy when it comes to uh training athletes then so you mentioned about getting an understanding for the sport that they're playing um but how would you describe your philosophy when it comes to training athletes so for me a big thing is if i in any sport um if i want to get someone to be a good athlete i want i want them generally to be a good athlete first i want big thing i look at is how well someone moves what restrictions we have there can we improve those and i basically work off kind of a I get the low-hanging fruit first. So if someone's someone's kyphotic, for example, we'll do some work to improve that. If someone's um, in strongman, often people aren't comfortable coming into hip flexion and carrying events, so they kind of have this weird waddle. It's like, right, we can fix that easily. And then I kind of work my way up through the really general stuff. I just want people to move well. 
before I get to this too much of the specific stuff. And it's only once you've got to someone who's a good athlete, pretty all around at a pretty high level, that then you need to really focus down and specialize too much. I think it's uh, it's ironic because people often get that the wrong way around in the sense of they think, oh, well, this is what so-and-so is doing with this elite athlete. So therefore, that's what I need to do with that. That's what I need to do with myself in a given sport. But if we almost go full circle back round to your um, description of doing the sport itself, like if you were to take up, I don't know, 5K running or marathon running, you probably don't really need to be looking at what Mo Farah is doing for the world championships or whatever. Yeah, I just need to learn how to run and run well. And before I even get any fitter or anything, if I run, if my technique improves, I'll be better. And then, and then it's get to practicing before I need to do any kind of specialised stuff. I just need to go out and get some distance in. So if you were to describe uh, strongman as a sport in terms of, uh, I'm sure people who've never watched it before just know that there's going to be some kind of lifting of weight involved. Um what what does strongman look like as an actual competition? So strongman is, I mean, it's a test of strength, but it's a test of all round strength. The kind of correct name for strongman is strength athletics, although no one refers to that because it doesn't sound as good. Um, so generally, you have anywhere between five to eight events usually. There's normally some kind of test of maximum strength, so that could be a one rep max and a lift. Some kind of repetition strength, so it could be a clean and press for maximum reps. Some kind of kind of strength speed event where you'll be carrying a load over a certain distance for time, a strength endurance test where you might be carrying something for max distance, or you might be carrying several objects over a lot long course, something where you're working for maybe a minute, and then there'll be normally some kind of stone or loading event where you have to lift um, usually atlas stones onto various platforms. Um, so it's Generally, testing strength, but in quite a few areas, is often throwing events, test uh, power, so it's lighter loads, but obviously going for max height, you need to be very explosive. So it just tries to test all-round strength um, for a variety of events, usually on one day, but can be multiple uh, day events as well. So let's, if we just unpack that a little bit more. Um, so I think when we talk about general errors of the strength and conditioning uh, industry, I'd say one of the big things for me is that the pendulum swings so far one way and then the other. So you'll have, for example, people say, right, you can't go wrong getting strong. And then there'll be other people who say, well, hang on a minute. If all we do is strength work, we potentially miss out on uh, other things. So my own training background uh, of late has been that I've competed in powerlifting. But having watched Strongman, I know for a fact that that general strength would only get me so far. Um, so when it comes to uh programming for the sport at what point would you say that general strength is nice but we need to make it a little bit more specific to the different types of strength events we're going to be doing so this is um this varies person to person um with how um what's the word skewed strongman is to maximal strength you're always going to have some general barbell work in but the amount will differ depending on your strengths as an athlete like so example you'll get some guys that come into the sport they might be amazing powerlifters they might have a thousand kilo total and they can out squat and deadlift everyone but the conditioning's bad they move their movement's bad their grip's bad and they need to do a lot of event work you really 
you'll be doing a small amount of barbell work, but just kind of ticking them over. And you'll be doing a lot of specific kind of practice just to build their skills up and build their own fitness components. For some people, it's either way. They might be a really good athlete and they move well and they're fast and they're explosive and, and they're fit. They've got good endurance and conditioning, but they're getting to an event and the weights are just too heavy for them. So in that case, the general squat, overhead press, deadlift, that's what you're going to push up. So you see quite a big difference between athletes getting to strongman. Um, but basically what I think of is people that just do barbell lifts and just do squat bench deadlift, for example, for a powerlifter, they get very one-dimensional in that they're not necessarily explosive. They're not very good once you take them off of like a bilateral base. They're not very good once you get them moving. So you just need to make people more well-rounded in that regard. A lot of powerlifters get into strongman and they just can't, they can't adapt to it because something I always say is you can make a good athlete strong. That's pretty easy, but making someone strong, a good athlete is hard, especially once they're past the kind of early twenties, you, you can be fighting a losing battle sometimes. And that kind of ties into uh, my own philosophy or where my own thinking's at in the sense of how important strength is, is that it's very important, but it's also one of the easiest qualities to build. Whereas for example, um, without trying to come out of my lane as a strength and conditioning coach, making someone more athletic on, say, the tennis court or whatever, um, is probably not as easy as, you know, if someone already moves well and you take them to the gym, you're like, right, we're going to have a breeze getting you guys stronger. Yeah, absolutely. That's it, isn't it? Um, I I remember seeing a lot of divers doing um, some SNC work at Hallam Uni, and it was great to see them lift because they just put kilos on the bar every time. And the technique was great, but they were just such good athletes that you just you just let them do it right. Here's five six five, and they'll go up five kilos every time, and there's no there's no real issues to to fix because they're already such a good movement uh, movers. They just need a few months under a bar, and they'll get stronger, and it's you're you're away. Yeah, and it almost ties into uh, what you were saying about your philosophy um, in the sense of those divers you mentioned probably not coming to you with many restrictions. I mean, if you look at diving as a sport, basically gymnastics but entering the water so uh probably unlikely that they're coming to you with huge mobility restrictions um whereas on the other hand if i give you an athlete who's like you said effectively broken or should we say desk bound or doesn't move very well there's a lot of things that need to be unpicked before getting them stronger will uh transfer to uh their sport or indeed their goals yeah absolutely i have a lot of guys that are they've got i think guys that have come in strong man been in a couple of years and like you say they've got injuries from other sports or they've got sedentary lifestyle and I take a long time trying to just kind of undo that and I'll try and get them stronger as we go but I'm not putting a massive massive focus on just improving their max strength and you'll see them do a lot better at competitions just from kind of getting them back to baseline with the mobility and things like that so you really do see the effect pretty quickly. And in terms of the, uh, you've already kind of touched upon it there in terms of powerlifters uh, or maybe even weightlifters who come into strongman in that, for example, the grip's not up to scratch or the conditioning needs work. What are some of the unique adaptations that you've found in your experience using strongman exercises or indeed exposing people to strongman type events? I say a big thing with strongman events, just for people generally, it's, the condition aspect of it is quite a unique one for me because 
say you have a loading medley where you've got to carry, I don't know, five different sandbags, 20 metres up and down a course, it, you're essentially doing kind of like a fartlek training in that very isolated environment. So you're doing like carry heavy, running back, carry heavy, running back. Because the intensity is so high and you are going for that duration, I find that your conditioning can improve massively and very quickly. Um, and it's a really good one for just getting people to work hard, which I think is overlooked often. It's If you can get through some a kind of medley that's 60 to 90 seconds at max intensity, <clears throat> the feeling of fatigue you'll, you'll get and the, the feeling of fatigue that you'll get used to will quickly adapt to other things, anything around that kind of energy system. Um, so I think carrying and loaded carries are something that a lot of people miss out on that gives massive benefit for very little risk, really. Yeah, and I think that's that's the beauty of it. I mean, we were talking a little bit off air about um, other sports. So, for example, CrossFit, as an example, where the uh, principles are nice, but then sometimes poorly applied. But that's the same for any sport, not necessarily uh, bashing CrossFit. But again, I think with the loaded carries, as you say, the uh, low risk, obviously, it's going to be minimal soreness because there's no eccentric load, such as what you're going to get if you're running or jumping. Um, and like you said, a nice way to spike the heart rate without actually having to uh, cover a long distance. Yeah, so it's, it's short, it's intense, and that will do things like um, every minute on the minute with sandbag carries, and in, like you can just get a brilliant kind of anaerobic conditioning workout in a short time. And like I said, there's no not a lot of eccentric loading. There's not a lot of injury risk unless you're going something super heavy, which often you won't be doing. Um, and there's not necessarily a low skill component. If if you've got a good athlete, they'll pick it up straight away, basically. So if you've got someone who's a rugby player, they can carry a sandbag and they'll just do it. You don't really have to teach them anything. You can just get them on it, smash them for 10 minutes, and you've had a good workout and it's it's been quick and efficient. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure in regards to the skill component, you probably feel similar about strongman as I feel about powerlifting in that, for example if you're comparing it on a sort of skill spectrum to, I don't know, something like a triple backflip dive. I mean, you can tell I've followed diving extensively, but obviously <laughs> people see that in the Olympics and think, wow, that's hugely skilled. Uh, whereas people see, I don't know, someone uh, picking up a yoke that weighs, I don't know, 300 kilos or whatever and walking with it. They think, oh, well, that's easy. It's like, well, no, there's skills involved in both, but the sort of, I suppose, the subtlety of the skill involved in strongman probably goes over a lot of people's heads so there's still skill involved despite the fact that it may not be immediately obvious because if you take the weight aspect out of it a lot of people probably think yeah that's uh that's easy i can do that yeah of course because walk, walking isn't difficult but then walking and, and walking very fast with uh, half a ton on your back is uh it ramps up the uh, difficulty factor a little bit and in terms of programming the conditioning side of um for uh strongman then uh, if we use loaded carries in it, as, in it, as an example, how would you go about programming that then? Because obviously a lot of people are familiar with, for example, programming for compound lifts. I don't know, five sets of five, 80 percent. Then next week, 82 and a half percent or something relatively straightforward like that. How do you go about programming to improve uh, in loaded carries then when it's not quite as easy to put it into a box, if that makes sense? Yeah, so 
the big point is the starting point you've got someone at. So generally what I'll do, I'll um, generally use the same weights for quite a long block, really. Say I've got a 120 kilo sandbag that I'm going to carry three of in a competition. And it might be three lots of 20 meters. So 60 meter events, 20 meter run back in between. I might start doing single runs of 20 meters, but I might do a lot. I might do a 10 minute EMOM just doing 20 minutes and then 12 minutes and 15 minutes. And when I get to 15 minutes, I might start, right, I'm going to do 40 meters. I'm going to do two sets. And basically it's a big accumulation phase, same weights, but you increase the total workload and increase the density, which is not something I see too much of, but for strongman, it's a good, it's a good principle to have. So basically you keep the load the same and sometimes even keep the workload the same, but you just reduce the time that's taken to do it. So you might go from doing um, 12 lots of one one run down to three sets of um, four runs. Um, so you're doing that in a much shorter time. Um, so I don't like to make it too complicated with that. I just like to gradually reduce the time frame that you're doing the workload and gradually increase, increase the workload until you get to a point where you're essentially doing the comp set. You're doing the three sets of 20 meters all in one go. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I think density is also an underrated principle when it comes to uh, just strength training in general, because it's easy to think, right, I want to get stronger. What does the textbook say? It says, I don't know, one to five reps at 80 to 85% intensity. But then equally, if you're like me um, in the off season, then uh, that those five sets may well take, I don't know, half an hour or something stupid like that. Whereas if you've got that density block in there, then either you get more out of the same unit of training time or you can then do more sets in the same time and get a bigger adaptation. Yeah, absolutely. So I've, I've just done a squat program, which uh, the Russian squat routine. So work up to six sixes at 80% and then going down five fives, four fours into some really high percentages. And like the six sixes took me probably over an hour because it was right on the limit of what I could actually get through. But then if I was in that workout with 60%, I'd be thinking, right, six seconds rest, get back under the bar. And I think that's missed out a lot, especially with strongman. And you get, you have your variables, your sets and reps and your, and your weight, but that's it. Like if you do a five, five in 25 minutes, so you do five, fives in five minutes, it's a very different variable and a very different workout, um, which is if you're going back to CrossFit is a good thing where, the time frame is everything. If you're suddenly in a time constraint, you completely change how hard you're working, even though you're doing the same work overall. Yeah, and it's funny just <laughs> when you say about the uh, Russian squat cycle there, I'm just reminded of um, when I went for my UKSCA SNC uh, accreditation, I remember I used a um, bastardized version of a Russian squat cycle for the athlete I was working with at the time. And uh, they said, oh, what adaptation are you going for? And I think I said something like strength volume. And the assessor was like, yeah, that's not a thing. And uh, I was like, yeah, but he's doing for two. He's doing for six reps what he used to do for two reps. And his one RM has gone up. So therefore, he is stronger. And they just kept pressing the point. And I was like, look, his one RM has gone up. And he's taken what he did for two. Now he does it for six. And the, he's able to complete more work in less time. So he's also fitter. Um and it just felt like I was hitting my head against a brick wall because you get these preconceived connotations of 
strength absolutely has to be one to five reps and all of a sudden you go above five reps and suddenly the physiology changes massively even though the reality is you're like well I've got a metric they improved in that metric so you know therefore they're stronger in some way shape or form I remember I remember reading about five three one when that first came out and Jim Wendler was saying if you do a rep a weight for one rep and then you do it for three reps and then you do five reps and then you do it for ten reps you've got stronger but yeah I think people do get into this kind of well six to twelve is this hypertrophy so the strength just disappears then um but I think that's a good thing about strongman because you might be working on I've got a competition for deli for reps and I need to get my five rep max and then I want to hit it for eight so you build that up and you've got a lot stronger but yeah, what did they want you to say on that one? Was it? Do you know what? I, I don't know. I think the I think the issue they had with it, and on reflection, this is I, this is my best guess, is that I wasn't articulating the adaptation that I was going for well enough. Because I understand that strength volume isn't a thing. Um, whether they wanted me to say hypertrophy, I don't know. But I just kept saying, look, his one RM's gone up, therefore he is stronger. Um, so I don't actually know, but I think it's because they just wanted me to be super clear on the adaptation i mean the the person who was assessing me at the time um i won't drop names but um works for the english institute of sport and i had conversations with him um just at certain events uh, before and after so i think it's that they would have wanted me to have been clearer on the adaptation i was going for and how that adaptation was achieved um because again if i just get on my soapbox a little bit um i've written a program before and i remember a job interview and uh, I said, we were in a strength phase and they were doing, uh, I don't know, three sets of eight. And they were like, oh, three sets of eight. That's not strength training. And I was like, but the athlete's so untrained that anything will get them stronger. And I said, well, if I swap that round and said eight sets of three, would you be happy with that? Because it'd, yeah. be, it'd still be the same workload, albeit you're just keeping them further away from, um, from failure. But if you give a youth athlete, I was thinking about this this morning, if you give a youth athlete three sets of eight, it's still strength training because it's probably heavier than what they've ever lifted. Even though if you looked at it, they would tell you it's heavy, but it's moving very fast. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. I, I like to think of what adaptation are you going for? That's getting them stronger. Cause in a youth athlete, if you give them a load of coordination based stuff and they get stronger, they're still getting stronger. So did they get stronger because they coordinate the movement better? Did they get stronger because they put on muscle mass? You're like, well, Maybe I don't know exactly, but who cares if they shifted more weight and it looks better? Here's one for you then. If you do a, say you're doing a sandbag carry for a maximum weight for 20 metres, is that strength training? Well, my, my argument would be that it's it's all on one big continuum. Um, exactly. So, yeah, it's like as, as an example, um, going back to the uh the sets and reps thing like if i do an eight rep max um yeah the let's say i fail on the ninth rep then at what point was it limited by strength or limited by endurance it's like well i don't really know but if you if you're well trained enough a, a solid eight rep max will wipe you out the same way or in a similar way that a one rep max failing that would wipe you out like the limiting factor is probably very similar on that last rep, unless unless you've got to the point where lactate has accumulated so much that, you know, I don't know, your muscles can't buffer it. It's, it's very easy to go 
um, so microscopic with things like this rather than being like, right, did you get better? Yes or no? Yeah, I think this is my problem with a lot of the things in the S&C world when it's a little bit too... Majoring in the minors, I think some Americans would say it's uh, is it going to is it helping the goal? Yes, all right, then that's it, that's fine, that's what we need to do. Yeah, I mean, uh, Dan John, who I interviewed, I think it was on episode 24 of this podcast, one of his uh, one of his quotes, which I like, and uh, it reminds me a lot in speaking to you in terms of just making things simple. Um, but he's like, uh, I don't care how it works, if it works, but that second bit is important, yeah, exactly. And uh, just on my final note on that, one of the uh, one of the quotes I like, I wish I could remember where I read it. They were saying something like the uh, the eight. There is nothing magical about the eight to 12 rep range for hypertrophy. It's just a convenient way of accumulating sufficient volume. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And you see, you think like the eight to the rep range is really the amount time under tension, isn't it? If you're talking about hypertrophy. So. If you're doing slow eccentric work at five reps, you're going to get the same time and attention as you are at 12 normal tempo reps. So it's it's very arbitrary. It's just that 10 reps will generally do it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the guys who I follow on uh, Instagram talks about using accommodating resistance in bodyweight training. And uh, basically each portion of the movement is maximal, but he'll only do one rep. But when, for example, you watch him do something like a, uh, a one-arm chin-up, he's strong enough where his partner will literally be bear hugging him whilst he's doing a one-arm chin-up and then will gradually let more and more of the weight go so he can get through the movement. Then she'll literally pull, then she'll literally pull him down on the uh, eccentric and he's trying to resist it. And he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I'll literally do, I don't know, three sets of one rep. And you're like, wow, you did three reps. It's like, well, let's not miss the massive caveat here that the, Time under tension is massive. If you can do a one-arm chin-up weighted, then the mechanical tension is massive. Um, if you're doing it on one arm, then, you know, stuff like metabolic stress and all that is going to be uh, through the roof as well. So uh, don't just think all you need is three sets of one or three sets of 12. Look at the actual context in which it's being performed. Right, I'll uh, get off my soapbox a little bit with uh, adaptations, although that's something I could geek about, geek out on uh, all day. Um, in terms of uh, what strongman exercises can teach or provide a benefit for in terms of the uh, either the general population or indeed the athletic population, um, what would you say? what would you say the benefits are that perhaps wouldn't be realized with, I don't know, your typical five sets of five or compound lifts that you might see people doing in their programs? So I think for, well, athletes or anyone in general, really, I think it's um, strongman training. It's more dynamic, a lot of stuff, a lot of events are moving and it's carries over a little bit. Obviously (laughs) to put it simply, it's a little bit more specific to um, maybe the sport that you're doing. So for a football or a rugby player, et cetera, you know, you're not in just a set stance with both feet underneath you. Um, I think it's really fun and it's a good challenge for people. So if you get a group of guys um, or a group of girls and they've got, say, a farmer's walk, it's easy to be competitive. And if you've been competitive, you're generally working harder and generally getting more out of it. We've done some sessions with the Hallam rugby team and they really got stuck in and they worked really hard and pushed each other. And just having that 
easily kind of um, easy to quantify, easy to be competitive at. And again, doing that at a low risk rather than maxing out a deadlift, for example, is really good. Um, there's a lot of benefits for grip training that you might not necessarily get in a lot of barbell lifts. Obviously, carries a lot of, over to a lot of sports where you're using your hands. Um, and I think adding a little bit more conditioning into what's still a very good strength workout is always a good thing. It's a little bit more bang for your buck, so to speak. So you can really get a good strength stimulus, but you're also improving your conditioning and uh, your work capacity. And for people who've never come across... Um never come across or never particularly use strongman exercises before, uh, what would your starting point be for them in terms of, I don't know, they say, right, Paul, I've heard your podcast, those adaptations or those benefits sound great, but I don't want to overhaul the entire program that I'm doing now. How do I drip feed that in or where do I start with it? What I recommend is um, can I use it as a finisher? It would be a good way to start. Um, for some of my guys that are doing strongman, but not, they kind of like the idea of doing strongman, they're not necessarily competing. I'll use event training as a bit of conditioning work. So a good thing to do would be grab a sandbag at the end, do an imam of carries, um, and just use that as your kind of conditioning to finish you off. You might be doing something like an load or an out of stone to shoulder, I get a lot of guys in stone to shoulder for like eight to 10 reps as a conditioning workout. You're normally looking around 60 to 90 seconds of work and you can start off with a fairly low load. Just try and work in that around a minute, a minute and a half range and use that as a bit of a conditioning finisher. You'll get a lot of the benefits from it. It's fun. It doesn't take too long. And it's, um, you can just kind of add it in on top of a general strength training program. You don't have to rework everything to fit around it. Yeah. And I think that's a, a perfect example. Um, I did mention, obviously, off-air, we might touch upon a little bit of concurrent training, but uh, I suppose the reason why carries or uh, other strongman-esque uh, events are useful is that you don't have to overhaul the programme. You don't have to think, right, I need to fit in a separate day. I need to, I don't know, go to an AM and PM training session when actually uh, I don't want to or I don't need to commit that kind of training time. Um, I'd like to also segue just into the uh, the psychology of... Uh, strongman as an event and the lessons that I think and I'm sure you think that it can give to uh, other athletes um, so the first example I have is uh, based on an off-air conversation I had um, with one of the guys uh, you train and that relates to uh, warming up without equipment uh, so do you want to just uh, chat a little bit about one of those scenarios yeah so often in strongman you will have especially at the biggest shows, let's say you've got a yoke carrying, so you're carrying a big frame on your back. Often it's something, with strongman, it's meant to look good and it's meant to be a show for the crowd and a show for TV. So I had a, my first real big kind of exposure to this, I did the junior UK Strongest Man. And I got there, it was my first kind of big competition and we had a yoke and it was 420-ish kilos, but it was basically a frame that weighs 70 kilos empty with two giant earth mover tires on to, that gave us the weight. So we're like, how do you warm it up? It's like, well, the yoke's there. It's like, but that's 70 kilos. That's not going to prepare us for another 350. It's like, oh, there's some stuff lying around. So basically I was, I think I carried my, my <laughs> I think I carried my mate on my back as like a piggyback carry to get re ready. I did 
a body weight warm up. Um, and then there was like a something, a frame to deadlift on. And then we did that. And then we went into the yoke and everyone's knees felt they were going to fall out. But after that, I realized like this is going to be a common theme. And going forward, I've got to a point where I use a lot of body weight stuff, general warming up, kind of footwork movement type warming up, a lot of bands and just get to a point where I can be ready for a max effort without having anything. Occasionally I have some things, some comps you'll have a lot, some comps you'll have very little, some comps you'll have nothing. Um, and it's just been in that mindset of being flexible. It's like you've got a warm that you can do with no kit or every, just stuff you can take with you. And if you get to lift stuff, it's a bonus. If you don't, you're okay. Um, a lot of my guys that do their first comps, they uh, send me their plan warm-ups, so say a max deadlift, and I'm like, scrap it, you're not going to have that kit. And they're like, what? And I always have this conversation beforehand because I don't want them getting there thinking I'm going to do 60 kilos, 100, 130, 150, 165, 177, and then go to 190. I want them to realise you you might get 70 kilos, you might get 120, and then you've got to pull 300. So you've really got to be flexible in your mind and not stress out about that and just realise it's going to be hard. But once you're actually there on the day in the thick of it, with all the adrenaline and everything flowing, you are okay as long as you're not stressing out too much beforehand. And I think that is funny because uh, that's one of my... Uh, bigger learning points just from powerlifting in the sense of... Um, the coach that I work with um, is something he's improved over the few years we've worked together. It's just my mentality because there'd be times when I'd be like, but the spreadsheet says 131 and a half kilos and I've only got 135. What am I going to do? And you're like, actually, do you know what? We are definitely majoring in the minors. Yeah. I've, I did a powerlifting comp. Uh, was it last? No, it's 2019. And it was fun. to be fair, I was going for a qualifying total, so it wasn't like I was going to be super competitive. I just wanted to hit this, but people were so obsessed with getting these tiny jumps. I was like, maybe you need to spend less time worrying about like just just get yourself ready to squat heavy. You don't necessarily need to do. I need to wait for a right where I can do two hundred seven point five. Maybe if that one's over two hundred, you're all right just doing another rep on there instead of stressing yourself out trying to find all this kit in a, in a busy warm-up room. So, yeah, I think I think there's a there's definitely things to be learned from the strongman way of that's your kit, crack on. Yeah, deal with it. And uh, how do you deal with um, either preparing yourself or your athletes for um, – so you mentioned off-air that it's kind of the one, wrong way around in terms of uh, novices um, versus uh, opens and knowing what the competition is going to hold for you. Um, so do you want to just talk about psychologically preparing potentially for events that you don't know if they're going to come up? Yeah, so basically in strongman, often the lower level comps are very more organised, really. So you'll probably have a few months knowing the events, you know, pretty much exactly what the specs are. Because you'll be at a gym where someone has a yoke and it weighs 200 kilos and they've got 20 metres and that's how much the length of the AstroTurf is in the gym and they've got a stone that's 80 kilos and 100 and 120, 140. Whereas for the big comps, often kits being made or the people that are organising it don't have access, don't really know what where the kit is or what stage it's at. So you'll have people in charge of equipment that aren't necessarily in charge of actually being in touch with uh, the athletes. Um, and there'll be things that are planned for 
TV, for example, that might be quite a big build and sometimes it go wrong logistically, traveling, all that stuff. So often we'll get told, oh, right, you've got a deadlift for reps. Is it from the floor? Is it from height? Is it from a rack? Is it from, it's like, you've got a deadlift for reps. There'll be a deadlift for reps. We're not sure. You've got a, a log press. Is it for max weight? Is it this? We don't know. There'll be a loading event. Well, are we picking up stones? Are we picking up sandbags? Are we picking up kegs? Are we, are we, what are we doing? It's like there'll be some kind of loading. So in that case, you you can have your best guess at what's going to be and there'll be little bits of information you can get, but generally you've just got to be strong and well-rounded. And often you might say, right, you've got to, you've got a log press today. So you prep for 12 weeks for a log and then you get there. Oh, it's, um, you're going to clean and press a dumbbell with one arm. So, all right. So your log press training has gone out the window then and you need to adapt and you see a lot of guys stress out and I think it's one of those things where after a few comps and every few situations like that you just become a lot more kind of um, malleable and, and flexible towards what you find and you see the more experienced guys are a lot more laid back as at a comp last year it was UK's strongest man and basically because of COVID there was no crowd and so they did a night show because there was no crowd they could make it really cool with um lighting and stuff and effects for tv but it meant we had to wait to compete so we went dark we were competing at started at like eight o'clock and then we were there till one o'clock in the morning doing these giant weights which was new to pretty much everyone and some of the newer guys they were like oh you know they were really kind of stressing out but i've learned with strongman you've just got to relax and take it as it comes you'll always have a bit of time before the event on the day to figure out exactly what you're going to do but you can't be too wide up stressing and if something changes because it changes all the time um and you've just got to get on with it and if we're strong man because it's a long event you might be going for five hours in a day if you're getting stressed out two hours before you start by the time you're in the second or third event your energy is gone and you're too drained so it really is a case of just conserving as much energy let all the kind of changes and everything just wash over you and you all you've got to worry about is right I've got a minute here for one event I've got a minute there for two events and that's the only time you really got to be switched on for so that's yeah. the big difference between kind of veterans and and the newer guys yeah I, I mean I, I don't know if it was Brian Shaw or somebody else that I heard on a podcast um but they were saying about flying out to an event a few years ago and that their uh, plane had been delayed two hours or whatever it was and that all the other competitors were getting themselves um, frustrated because they had specific meal timings or whatever it was, and saying that he just zoned out in the airport and just went to sleep, and that it always stuck with the other competitors because they were like, hang on a minute, how's this guy doing this? And he's like, well, if I can't control it and I can't change it, then why can't? Why am I going to stress out about it? And if I can control it and if I can change it, well, I don't need to stress out because I'm going to control it and I'm going to change it. Yeah, exactly. I've got a good um, a story I should probably tell. So in 2018, I got a reserve spot to the World's Strongest Man competition. And I had a, had a few weeks notice, but the trouble is with being a reserve, there's each different group, each different qualifying group has different events. So I had basically three weeks of just trying to cram in every possible event I could. So I had like a, one or two goes on everything. And I flew out. And the night before we'd done our, all our medical tests and everything, at this stage, I wasn't going to be in. And one of the guys that tried to pull out, um, the doctor basically said he'd been ill and he wasn't fit to compete. So another reserve got in, an American guy. 
So I was like, oh, I wanted, I was hoping, but kind of we're going to bed the night before. I thought that's it really, because nothing's going to happen now. No one's going to, you know, fall down the stairs and and I'm going to be in. So wake up in the morning, we go to the venue. I take my kit because I've got to, but I thought, right, I'm just going to have to watch it. I wish I was competing, but, you know, front row seat and all that. So then I'm just wandering around kind of the competition area and I see one of the competitors and he's, no, sorry, before I'm leaning on a guardrail and one of the guys comes over to me, Terry Hollands, he says, you're not warming up. And I thought, oh, he's having, like having a little dig. I thought, fair enough. I was like, I'm, yeah, I'm not in, you know I'm not in. Uh, I thought, I'm the new guy, fair enough. Um, and he said, you might be. I was like, what, what, what do you mean? And he said, look at Lelas. And I turned around, Lelas competitors, limping around, looking at his team, looking at his coach. And I'm like, what, what what's going on? Comp's due to start imminently. So I start like doing some stretches. I'm looking around for someone that can tell me what's going on. And I'm just staring at this guy. And he's picking a sandbag up and he stops and he grabs his ankle and he's limping. He tries it again. He goes and sits down. He puts his head in his hands. So I'm I'm really freaking out at this point. He was in group two and group one were just starting the first event. So I'm running around like a headless chicken. I'm asking some, um, I asked one of the physios. He says, well, he's done this to his calf, but it's not up to us to pull him out. It's if he wants to pull out and then carry on warming up. Event one's going. And then the tournament director, I just hear him shout, where's Paul Smith? So I come running over. He says, well, Alice is out, you're in. So I'm like, oh my God. Group two are just about to be called. So I try and pick this, I fail with Sam. I can't even pick it up. I'm that nervous. Get my kit on. I run out to get introduced with TV and I've got Brian Shaw next to me, <laughs> making me feel like a child. And then, uh, and then the event starts. I had like 20 minutes from knowing I was going to be in to actually competing and that was uh it was it was not good for my performance because my legs were so shaky going into the first event that I was already knackered but after that it was like right I've had the to the biggest competition in the world I've had the worst possible start I'm never going to have anything that's worse than that so any any trouble or anything that comes up won't be as hard to deal with as that so I think it was good to get that fairly early on because now it's like well you're not going to phase move anything really. So I can just relax and deal with it. If I dealt with that and deal with anything else. And it's funny because just uh, listening to you, hear, hearing you talk there, um, it makes me think of these debates that we have, for example, within the SNC community about how important, I don't know, um, really potentially small factors which have been proved to be small but significant in research like um duration between the warm-up finishing and the event starting or the uh biological biological clock like for example you mentioned about competing at night whether in an ideal world your training would have had you training during the night and then comparing that to actually how effect how effective is all of those little things versus training your mind to be as you said psychologically malleable to be like okay if it's a night I can deal with it if I've got 20 minutes I can deal with it if I've got no equipment I can deal with it um versus oh well let's bring all this equipment let's train in the night let's make sure we've got the specific events dialed in even though we don't actually know what those are yeah so that's a good point because you can't repair for every eventuality we had a few weeks notice for the comp that was going to be at night but I thought me there listening in my garage at one o'clock in the morning is not worth for what maybe slight performance benefit I'll get from 
kind of getting the circadian rhythms drilled in. The sleep I'll lose and the way my day will have to change and just how shaking my whole like life and day around will be more detrimental than just being ready to go at night because we've had some of the experience I've had I can deal with it I can I, I'm all right I can relax I can go I can get switched on just trying to push through a session at, at midnight for the sake of it didn't seem like it would be beneficial so I'd stuck to my usual training routine and then on the actual comp there I dealt with it and to be fair I felt pretty fine to be honest and it's like you were saying earlier to anyone who's and again, almost going full circle back round to uh, the point you made at the very start in terms of understanding a sport by competing in it, um, is that there's so many things I could say as an SNC coach in terms of improving somebody's strength, but without competing in powerlifting, I can't tell you how you're going to feel on the platform, or I can't tell you with any confidence. Oh, don't worry about, like you said, the uh, training at one o'clock in the morning, because when the moment comes and the adrenaline kicks in, you'll be fine. Like you're, you're never going to know that unless you've competed on the stages that, for example, that you have. Yes. It's like, or the other way around, you could say, well, you're going to compete at once. So you need to be doing all of this. And then you completely flip someone's day around and everything around. And really what you do is make sure that you make, you meaning that they're getting five hours sleep a night for the run up to a big competition rather than getting everything as it should be the diet, right, sleep, right. And then, just prepare them psychologically to deal with it on the day because I feel like it would you can if you went by the book I would have been training at midnight every night to prepare myself properly when really that wasn't what I needed I just needed to be kind of uh, adaptable to the environment and do everything I need to do to train to the maximum kind of output yeah and uh again yo-yo back to another podcast of mine um <laughs> Dan John's uh, example of why he doesn't believe in peaking. Um, again, I'm going to do a terrible job and butcher uh, the story, but uh, he basically says that him and his wife were broke and uh, they basically spent money that they didn't have to compete in a competition. She wasn't too happy about it and he needed 300 kilos, which was a massive jump at one o'clock in the morning uh, to win the competition. And he's like, what kind of program prepares you for that? And he's like, if you, how are you possibly going to prepare for a massive jump on the last day of competition to win the competition when you've got deadlift, I don't know, 20 kilos more than what you've ever needed to? It's like, well, the reality is you can't do that. You just got to get your head in the right place and uh, go from there, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like, I'm a big martial arts fan. I see it a lot with um, boxing and MMA. It's like some of the, you see some guys when they get into the very, situations where they're pretty much out of the fight and they're done and it's they're in places where you never go to in training you never be able to go to in training but you see some guys and, and they can't handle it but some guys they, they've just got the mental toughness to get through and in that absolute absolute just dogged desperation to get through the worst possible case the most exhaustion the most damage and they can just figure it out it's not something you can really simulate it's just you've got to prepare yourself psychologically to be tough enough to actually get through it and just just dig in and get yourself through it yeah it's funny you mentioned martial arts because that's where my brain was going in the sense of um my personal belief is uh to take someone like a tyson fury i mean having read his autobiography 
when he ended up beating Klitschko, obviously those people who know their boxing know that that fight should have happened, I think, six weeks prior. But then I think Klitschko rolled his ankle or something like that and they pushed it back. But he said in his training camp that his dad was pulling him out of sparring because he was literally getting beaten up and it was embarrassing and he didn't want the press to find out how out of shape he was. But he said that if the fight was six weeks prior, he basically would have uh, put his gloves up, tucked up, taken a bit of punishment and tried to walk him down. And it's one of those where from a strength and conditioning coach perspective, my mind would be saying, you're not going to magically turn or you're not going to magically get six weeks of fitness out of nowhere. But then having done the sport, I know there are some people who just are that psychologically tapped that they would be able to do that. And I've boxed people who have not been what strength and conditioning coaches would call in shape. They would fail every fitness assessment. And yet you get in the ring with them and they're impossible to shift. They just know their way around the ring and psychologically they can switch it on and off. Um, And I'm not entirely sure you can train that. And going back to your previous point, uh, there's certain statements which you throw around as S&C coaches, which sound great and look great on social media. And it's like, oh, we we, um, bleed in the gym so we don't bleed in battle. or We make our training sessions harder than what the actual event's going to be like. And you're like, are you really though? Like, can you really recreate the adrenaline rush of being in the ring or being, for example... Uh, in a world's strongest man event at one o'clock in your garage, like no, you can't. No, like you like obviously, I, I'm. I train very hard, and then sometimes I really, really push myself for certain events. But I'm not trying to think right. I'm going to work hard than I'm going to come because you're just not going to. There's not. There's no way you can. The adrenaline is one thing. So, I mean, I can't even imagine what my heart rate is when I'm in an arena show with a big crowd. But it's not something I'm going to be able to. Um, I push myself in a garage or just in the gym with my friends around like it's I can push myself hard but it's that extra level of um kind of arousal that you're not going to get there so train hard fight easy it's I get the principle but the fight isn't going to be easy it's going to be hard it's going to be hard and heavy for you've done in training so I think it is a little bit overused that one. Oh, absolutely and it's one of those where uh I'm sure it's a famous quote but something my uh my old boxing coach used to say to me when we were uh, doing sprints up this ravine or whatever, he's like, these sprints will never get easier. You'll just get better at them. And uh, I kind of think the same is true for elite sport. It's like, yes, you might have those performances where one person dominates another and it looks easy, but it's easy to say that when you're sat ringside versus being the person who's actually in there. Yeah, absolutely. I say that's a lot of my guys who say, when's this... um when is this going to be easier when like it will be easy in a few months, but then we'll be doing more reps or more weight. So it's like, you never, you never get to a point where, Oh, this is, this training is easy now because you're constantly pushing on to go mm. to the next level. And funny enough, uh, obviously one rep max is for me uh, hugely motivating, but what I actually find uh, equally satisfying is when a weight that used to really trouble you becomes a warm up weight and you're like, Oh wow. I've never, I've been so focused on that one rep max number that I forgot that, I don't know, this four rep max that was a 10 RPE five months ago or whatever is now actually an eight RPE, which is still pretty tough. But you're like, oh, that's nice that there's a little bit more wiggle room. Yeah, when I was in the squat program recently, I started on 255 for my doubles and they're quite hard at first. But then by the end, they were like a recovery session, they're just popping them up and I was like, right, this is, 
yeah, I'm doing the heavy stuff, but this is stronger. Like this is 20%, 30% easier than they were six weeks ago. So I know I'm getting there and it's, it's nice when stuff like that, when you can just feel, oh, hold on, this is, uh, this is definitely working. Yeah, I wish I could remember the name of the um, programme, but it's, uh, it's one of Pavel Satsulin's. And uh, he gives an example session for the sake of uh, contextualizing it. Let's say it's five fives at uh, 200 kilos, whatever. And he said, you're not going to bump the load up until that five fives, which was previously a nine RPE. You're not going to bump that up until it starts to feel like, I don't know, a seven or whatever. And I thought that's interesting because if we go back to our earlier argument where people become so obsessed with the textbook, if you saw that in black and white, it's like week one, five fives at 200 kilos. Week two, five fives at 200 kilos. Week three, five fives at 200 kilos. You'd be like, well, where's the progressive overload? Where's the improvement? Um, But actually, if that now feels like a seven RP rather than a nine, like we said earlier, guess what? You're stronger. Yeah. Um, I've done that recently with a few of my guys, especially on like body weight stuff. They'll get to like pull up. So I've got one guy, he's on four sets of 10 at body weight and he said it was RP 10 and it was RP nine and a half. I thought, I'll just leave that for a few weeks. I'll just let him keep doing that. And in a month, it'll be, might be RP eight and then another couple of sessions and we can put it up. But there's no need to push everything constantly. Let him keep doing it. You're doing a lot of reps, doing a lot of volume and it will gradually get easier and then we can push up rather than beating his head against a brick wall to keep doing a, another rep or another set, just let him adapt to that and then we can move on. Yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, I, I don't know if it sounds like you're alluding to it and you probably do do it, um, but with my powerlifting training, my coach was like, right, the biggest change compared to how I programmed for myself previously um, was just repeating the same week. Um, it'd be something like, I don't know, um, do a singular RPE8, so two reps in the tank, and then take off, I don't know, 15% for five sets of five or whatever. And we just keep repeating that because obviously over time that RPE8 would go up and then obviously the percentage drop would stay the same, but the actual weight drops would be different because you're hitting a higher single on which to benchmark the uh, back offsets. And I've never really done it before like that, but he's like, we're going to keep doing this until it works. And when it stops, when it stops working, we'll change it. And I'm like, Jesus, that is so much more simple than what the textbook would say in terms of five fives at 80, now 82 and a half, now 85%. You're like, do we actually need, are we hitting the wrong figures? Are we making it harder than it actually needs to be? Yeah, um, that's why I think with, with clients often, it's like, I'll take the simplest thing that will work. And then when that starts working, I'll take the next simplest thing that will work. And then for some guys I've had and been coaching for years, I mean, use some fairly advanced methods, but for a lot of guys, it's like, this is just going to, we're going to stick to a general linear progression and then we're going to tweak the numbers slightly and do another one. And then if it's carried, if it keeps giving us in, increases, we're just going to keep doing it because there's no need to move on, no need to make it more complicated until, until it needs to be. Yeah. And I think that would be, I suppose, my general advice to anyone trying to write their own program. I mean, uh, Mike, just Mike Chishira, uh, in one of his presentations, for those people who don't know, is uh, pretty big in the powerlifting world, but he's like, oh, if I knew nothing about training, what kind of training would I do? And he's like, I just have the same session each week and I'll just repeat it. And if I was getting better, I'd keep doing it. And then if I stopped getting better, I'd change it. And you're like, oh, that's ridiculously simple. And actually there's not much wrong with that. Yeah, it, people can overcomplicate it, can't they? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the final question I've got before we uh, wrap up is uh, just about improve. If you were, let's say if you were in charge of, I don't know, the marketing or the branding of Strongman, um, how would you improve the mainstream popularity of the sport? So I think this is definitely something um, they're doing a good job of at the moment. When I came to the sport, it's 2011 and Britain's Strongest Man was in a sports hall that year. And then the first time I did Britain's Strongest Man, it was in Doncaster Dome, so an arena with like a thousand people in. And now it's in Sheffield Arena with like six or seven thousand people in. So it really is. I've been lucky to kind of get into it as it's grown in popularity. But I think the biggest thing for me is Strongman is still seen as a Christmas thing. They have the live shows, as in you can go to the arena, but it's on TV at Christmas. And I've done a couple of comps where they've shown them at different time periods. And I think they've done pretty too well, but the strongman kind of promoters and the TV people are a bit hesitant to move it away from what it's known because it's strongman as at Christmas. The trouble is there's a lot of strongman on now. So December will be chock full of competitions. And I, I love Strongman more than anyone, but there's only so many competitions I want to watch day after day after day. So I think it's a case of taking that jump where it's going to be on TV kind of year round or even in the season, but it's not just a Christmas thing. It's just this is a regular sporting event and there's a competition on every month that leads up to the final, which is shown at Christmas. And there's a promotion that's got a deal with ESPN and next year I think they're going to be showing the competitions on like a day after they happen. So it's going to be edited and then put up really soon. So it'll be more ongoing. And I think that's the way to really push it into a mainstream sport because we're, we're doing pretty well, but it's still seen as a bit of a Christmas nostalgic thing. I think when it's on more regularly, that'll be the um, like a Grand Prix, like an athletic Grand Prix will be shown. I think that's when it'll really make the jump to uh, kind of a bit more legit, le- legitimate and... Uh, more serious uh, sporting event. Yeah, it's ironic, like just talking about, for example, sports that have moved forward, sports that haven't, or, you know, as we said, uh, S&C coaches poking their noses into certain sports and thinking, right, we know how to revolutionise it. But then there's a lot of stuff which has been tried and tested and true, um, as we said, with uh, the psychology of athletes and just being able to handle it versus the sports coach strength conditioning coach being like right let's train at one in the morning let's optimize your nutrition and ignoring all the benefits that are to be had from stuff that people have always done um and obviously you mentioned earlier in the podcast about strongman being a kind of circus trick and it's almost like well we're keeping on at christmas but then are we just feeding that sort of stereotype that it's just uh, a bit of fun and games rather than something that could be you know very serious and built in that way yes it's it's got its niche but the thing with Strongman is like you've got we've got competitions now, we've got thousands of people attending and we've got people, kids that know all the strongmen and there's people with massive Instagram followers and YouTube followers. It's like there's demand there. So it's just someone taking the risk to do it because they have the TV deal that's right. We're showing all this at Christmas and it does well. There's good ratings. It's the safe option. And I think that's the thing with a lot of TV, actually, compared to, say, something like a, a more modern streaming service. So it's like once it takes a step, it could do really well. But if it doesn't, then it's, you know, really backfired. So it's whether people want to kind of keep the safe option or kind of risk it a little bit for maybe some more exposure and revenue and all all that stuff. So it'd be interesting to see how it goes and if it works. But I I really do think it will work and be seen a bit more year round. But 
we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's been great to see like competitions from uh, yesteryear, if you will, and how the sport has grown. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed on that front. And uh, in terms of the just wrapping up in the final uh, outro questions I've got written down, uh, if you could have one key take home for listeners of this podcast, so whether it's athletes, uh, coaches, um, what would you like that take home to be? I say, um, I so I say for me, my big, a big thing I use in strongman is that I don't pigeon myself pigeonhole myself into this is how to train for strongman I do a lot of cross training and I do get a lot of stuff from other sports so if I want to move improve my power output I'll do plyometrics and I'll use athletics methods if I want to get more flexible I'll look at what gymnastics um, coaches are doing if I want to get more conditioned I might look at a crossfitter for example so I think strongman's a good one because it's multi-domainal you can kind of look from various different sources and get a lot of information. So I'd say for people, kind of look outside the box sometimes. And if you want to improve a certain aspect, look at the people that are best at doing that and use that in your training rather than saying, oh, well, if uh, if a powerlifter wants to get stronger, they've got to do five, five squats. Or if a um, footballer wants to um, get more flexible, they do a hamstring stretch and a quad stretch. It's not necessarily the... Uh, best way to be going about it just because it's the way that that's usually done in that sport i think that's a superb answer i mean i've always been keen and it's part of the reason why i've not posted as much of my powerlifting stuff because i would hate to be probably similar to yourself dropped into that strongman box dropped into that powerlifting box when actually strongman is just the tool for what you deem appropriate for your goal not Strongman will be the cure-all for everything or CrossFit will be the cure-all for everything. Um, powerlifting is the answer to everything. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to you use it. They're all tools, aren't they? And like any sport, just doing the sport is not always the best way to get better at sport. Like, you, you know, rugby players don't just play rugby. Badminton players don't just play badminton. Sprinters don't just sprint. Like, you've got to bring a lot of different things in and uh, they're all useful. Useful yeah. to help the main goal. Yeah, and without getting too sidetracked, I love the uh, whenever the the notion of sports specificity comes up, and it's like, oh, but we're I don't know, we're rugby players. Why are we performing these loaded carries? We're not going to do that in a game. It's like, do you think Usain Bolt just wakes up in the morning, warms up, does one one hundred meter effort, oh, and nice. calls it a day? Yeah, absolutely. I saw a guy post yesterday about um, what a day lifting routine for his martial arts, and I told him to start in strength. He didn't really do any gym work. He just wanted to get into it. It was pretty weak. So just do starting strength for six months. You'll progress linearly. You'll carry over to your sport because you've got a basic level of strength. You'll go to a slightly trained level of strength and it'll carry over straight away. And someone's like, oh, you've got to do SAQ. You've got to do this. You've got to do specific. Look at the muscles you work when you're punching or kicking. It's like all the muscles. Those are all the muscles. And he said, well, you've got to do workouts. This strong man won't help. And it's like, if you get a good athlete stronger from untrained to train for six months, it's going to get better. You don't need to be an elite powerlifter, but if you improve someone's max bend from 60 to 80, their upper body will be strong. If the delicate goes from 100 to 150, they're going to be a bit faster. Like It's very simple stuff, but people get too much into, oh, this needs to be sport-specific, and then you get people doing uh, some of the daft drills you used to see a few years ago, and that was kind of the in thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, 
when we were talking about the uh, pendulum swinging so far one way and then the other way within SNC, like, yes, strength is not going to carry over forever. But if you're weak and untrained, I promise you the best thing you can do is probably get stronger because as we, when you mentioned about removing somebody's limitations, if you're weak, that is probably one of the biggest limitations you're going to find to sports performance or life in general. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like I say, I was playing football and I was a really skilled footballer. I couldn't last, I couldn't last very long. It's like, they just send you for a run, wouldn't they? They won't do anything fancy. It's like, just go for a run three times a week and build your base fitness up. And if you could run a, a nine minute mile and they can run a seven minute mile, then you'd be much better. You don't need to run a four minute mile, but you need to improve a certain amount. And then that's your, your general base is high enough to do your sports at the right level. And yeah, that's and that's when people lose their heads. They'll be like, right, the difference between, say, a nine minute mile and a six minute mile is probably pretty significant. But if you're stopping all your football training to go from a six minute mile to a three minute mile, well, one, probably physiologically impossible to uh, get good at football and do that at the same time. But two, you're probably, quote unquote, fit enough uh, at yeah, that absolutely. point. Yeah. We even see it with strongmen. Like you have guys that are strong, like you say, to the general strength thing, they're strong enough. And they just need to get better. They're more skilled, more conditioned. And you see that even at really high levels, people are still trying to get strong and they're doing all these things to add one, two kilos on the lifts. It's like, but you could get your speed on a farmer's walk 10% better in this 12-week block. And that would carry over so much more than maybe getting one place higher in a max deadlift. So it's really prioritizing what you actually need to do. I think that's a big thing with me. It's Because I don't have a coach, I have to be very objective. And it's like, right, what is going to make me improve in a competition getting one more point in that event for so much effort is not worth it. But if I can put a lot of focus into this event, I might get four more points in that one. And overall that's a lot more a lot more beneficial. So you really got to think, right, this I need to improve, this I don't need to improve so much and bring everything up accordingly. Yeah, and although strongman's uh not my uh forte or certainly not my background, uh it's very similar to the heptathlon where I just love you could uh, imagine, for example, um God, his name eludes me now, but Jess Ennis' uh, coach. Tony Minichola. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, Tony, unbelievable coach. Um, had the pleasure of uh, observing him coach Jess in uh, 2015 and 2016. Unbelievable coach. Um, but you can just imagine him being like, well, it's going to need this much effort to, I don't know, throw the shot put further, or we can just do this for another event. And um it'll be much easier. Like I was reading, um, funny enough, in a presentation I was knocking up today uh, and I'm hoping I don't misquote this, but when they brought in the physiologist to work with Jess, uh, they worked out she needed probably some more high speed work and they looked at her training schedule and they're like, right, where can we possibly drop this in without impacting on other, um, other subsequent training days? And basically they thought there's no way we can drop this in. And they just had her do like a all out 200 meters, I think, or something like that before her 800 meter training and by adding up the number of times she'd done that over a week they'd got the high speed running in to improve a certain physiological adaptation and that almost that improved her 800 meters such so much so that it managed to improve her points total but they've gone from where can we possibly put it in to right the only place we can possibly put it in is you do an all-out 200 meters at the end of your warm-up and then that is going to contribute to your 800 meters which is going to contribute to an easier accumulation of the points total rather than spending so long on other events i mean i've also heard about ashton eaton in terms of 
uh, his shot put technique, which is apparently fairly unconventional. And in yeah, the end, it's not very advanced. <laughs> I mean, yeah, not by no means an expert, but they're like, Do you know what? This is good enough because you've done it for years and to unpick all those quote unquote bad habits is going to be too much effort. So let's just take that for what it is, solidify that, and then we'll focus on other areas. Yeah, I remember um, a weightlifting uh, weightlifter was coaching his younger brother and basically saying he had a slight technical issue. It's like we could rebuild his snatch that he's done for 15 years and get maybe five more kilos out, and that might take us 18 months. Or we could just stay with it, carry on getting stronger and and, and build up more. Um, like I say with Jess Ennis, I think when she won in London, it was I think she ran like a 12.50 hurdles and which is an elite time it's like to go back to the thing about being strong and strong enough it would be pointless for her trying to get down to like a 12-4 12-3 world-class near world record time when she could probably put on half a meter or a meter on a shot put with the same kind of um training time so yeah it's really is got a strongman similar to heptathlon or the decathlon it's a multi-discipline event so you've really got to prioritize training time because you haven't got enough we're generalists we're not specialists you haven't got enough time in the week to do everything to an absolute kind of uh, maximal degree absolutely and people always made the mistake in uh in their training in their life that if you automatically i don't know minus one unit from here you can add it on there and you're like well it yeah. might not be a one-to-one relationship absolutely yeah you've got to kind of you've got to be clever with it haven't you and if you could observe one coach uh, working with their athletes uh who would you choose to observe and why I'd probably say even Abdijayev, the Bulgarian weightlifting coach that started the Bulgarian system, Bulgarian method of basically um, basically destroying your athletes with one rep maxes. And uh, if they survive, they'll be an Olympic champion. But um, I'd be interested to, because having read about that approach and how hard the athletes worked and how much of a kind of culture change it was for their training compared to the old school, more volume, more exercises. Here's what's just, we're going to do snatch and clean and jerk, and we're going to do maxes, and we're going to do it three times a day. And you're just become 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 a machine that can clean and jerk and snatch and front squat all the time at heavy weights, and you'll force the adaptation. Because I like I like pushing, I like working harder than people say you're supposed to. So for like me, I'll I'll have blocks where I'm training twelve times a week, and I'm training twice a day, and doing all this stuff, and I'm doing too much work. Um, I get that all the time while you're training too well, blah, blah, blah. And it's just because it's past the point of what's kind of accepted. So I like the idea of anyone that's really pushing the boundaries of what, what's capable and, and they're testing it. Um, so I'd like to be around that and just that kind of environment of just maximal work all the time, like no excuses, like this is what we, what we do, this is a system. And uh, it's basically let's see what the body can do rather than we know it can do this, let's do this. It's like let's push and let's find out what the true absolute limit is so i think you'd be the guy to uh, observe yeah that's pretty cool i mean i i quite enjoy uh, anybody who takes an extreme approach whether it's for example um i've listened to a podcast uh, from max ata um where it talks about doing one rep maxes eight times a day because he was i believe he was part of the bulgarian weightlifting system or stayed with yeah. the bulgarians for some point in time um so obviously that's an example of uh, i guess hyper specificity if you want to call it that um and equally i'm intrigued by people who take the opposite approach and again um one of my most popular 
podcast today um, is with a guy called the Mindful Mover. So he was the guy who I mentioned earlier about the one one RM chin up, but is making every portion of the rep maximal. And he trains like once every eight or nine days, uh, ripped to shit, uh, unbelievable base of athletic skills. And yeah, says he trains once every eight days. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's uh, that's pretty cool. Just like you said, uh, I'm going to screw up the pronunciation, so I'm not going to even try. Um, but uh, like you said, with the Bulgarian weightlifting coach, right, we'll smash you in the opposite direction and see what happens. Yeah, I think that there's more than one way to skin a cat, isn't it? That's what it comes down to. And it's interesting to explore kind of both ends of the spectrum. Oh, absolutely. And I know there'll be some people listening to this who will just immediately, like you said at the start of the podcast, uh, you're immediately getting shot down. There'll be some people being like, yeah, they were on lots of drugs. And you're like, well, that's like people saying that, you know, that's like people who had the idea that if you give, I don't know, me or you steroids, and then all of a sudden we're going to break Usain Bolt's world record. And you're like, it doesn't quite work like that. Yeah, yeah. We have a lot of that with strongman because everyone thinks um, everyone's on loads of drugs. And it's like, oh, well, you can't do that. You can't train that much without it's like work capacity is not work capacity is almost infinitely trainable and it's often people say genetics as well as drugs it's like it's not massively down to drugs it's not massively down to genetics work capacity is something you build up over time and it's tolerance and it's hard work the trouble of building work capacity up is it's very hard to do so people like to write off that as oh no it's either drugs or genetics or something uh, they like to write things off that it's not attainable so they don't have to push themselves that hard to actually get to that stage. I see that a lot. Yeah. And it, it's funny. Again, I'll try not to sidetrack us too long, um, but it does always make you laugh when people make those kind of accusations when you're like, have you tapped out your genetic potential yet? Have you even got close to doing that? Or are you just throwing that around um, with no real substance? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, the second to last question, if you've got, uh, one recommended resource for people, whether it's a book, a podcast, uh, an app, um, what would your recommended resource be? This is a tough one. I'm not quite sure on this one because um, I say from my own experience with strongman training, it's it's changing a lot as we go and as people get in from different backgrounds. And I say there isn't really a definitive place yet where where all the information is is there for people. Um, you have a lot of different coaches trying different methods that are working, but they're still pretty new. Like they haven't been written about too much, haven't been studied. Um, it's almost learn about strongmans, particularly. I'd say officialstrongman.com is a good place because they have a lot of resources from top-level athletes. But with my support, there's a lot of things being developed, things that are new um, that we're still learning because it is only really... 50, 40 odd years old which for sport is very young so it's still developing really really quickly and rapidly okay no problem uh and uh finally how can people reach out to you if they've got any follow-up questions for the podcast or maybe want to learn a bit more about strongman themselves or perhaps want to get so, into strongman and be coached by yourself so if you want to get in touch my email is a good one to go to it's paulsmithstrongman at gmail.com nice and simple um Otherwise, most active kind of social media will be Instagram. So it's Paul underscore Smith underscore 94. But if you put Paul Smith Strongman into Instagram, that should pop up. So either email or send me a DM on there and I'll get back to you. Um, but yeah, if anyone's got any questions or anything like that, wants to get in touch, uh, hit me up on either of those. 
Awesome. Well, uh, thank you very much for uh, persisting with the technology issues, uh, Paul. And uh, thank you very much for your time, mate. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to episode 39 of the Platform to Perform podcast with myself, as always, Todd Davidson, and today's guest, England's strongest man, Paul Smith. If you've enjoyed the show, then it'd be great if you could leave us a review via your preferred podcast platform. And if you feel like you're in a position to support the podcast or you simply want access to the exclusive strength conditioning educational content that I've been releasing, you can head over to my Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Todd Davidson P2P coaching. In exchange for supporting the podcast, you'll receive access to all the programs that I've uh, created, which will walk you through how an adaptation-led program should be designed. And as well as that, you'll have access to Bodyweight Size, a nine-week program designed to increase strength, athleticism, and movement quality in adults, as well as all the lessons I've delivered through Calisthenics Kids, which are designed to improve strength, confidence, and movement skill in children in an age-appropriate and child-friendly way. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast, and I'll catch you again in the next episode.